Okay, well, welcome everyone. I am Jennifer Klug, and with us today is Mark Peters. He is the longtime leader and CEO of Butterball Farms. Welcome, Mark. Good morning, Jennifer. How are you doing? Good, good, good. For those that don't know, tell everyone a little bit about Butterball Farms and uh, what you do there. Right. So, Butterball Farms, uh, our company is uh, a butter manufacturing company. And um, some people think about the turkey company. My father was involved in the development of the Butterball Turkey a long, long time ago. And he sold his intellectual property rights in the Butterball Turkey uh, in an effort to raise some capital uh, for our company, um, which he started in 1956, sold his IP rights in the mid to late 60s and licensed the name Butterball from the Butterball Turkey Company and paid the license through the year um, 2099. So we wow. make we make products that are, are butter-based, value-added added butter products. We try to stay out of the commodity space. There's some really big players in that space. So um, yeah, that's what we do. Wonderful. That was ingenious in and of itself right there. Um, a nice, rich, wonderful history. Um, I know you've written a book. We're going to talk about that a little bit today, too. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Mark's company has been a best and brightest company work for in the nation for over eight years. Um, and it's a pleasure to have you with us. And I can't wait to dive in here. Um, now, let's talk a little bit more. You, you literally inherited the business. That must have been a very difficult transition uh, with the passing of your dad and all of a sudden here's the company, right? So tell us a little bit more about that for other leaders in a family business or second generation business. It's not all easy, is it? No, no, there's a lot. You know, what happened at the transition of my dad's death, there was a, there were a lot of things that went on, both from a business, uh, estate planning and family kinds of, of things. And I even in my book, I touch a little bit on that, but I was 30 years old when my dad passed away. And wow. one of the things I tell people is I had an accounting degree, but I didn't have a background in finance. And um, I was I was determined to change the culture of our business because I really didn't like the way my dad ran the company. And so I was highly focused on, on culture. Um, what I wasn't focused on was finance. And so while I was building culture, I was literally taking a business that had no debt and ran pretty consistently and turning it into a fast growth company that was highly leveraged. Um, and I just, I, I knew we were growing, but I, I didn't understand cash flow. Um, so within the first five years, um, I almost bankrupted the company. Um, and I was standing on the edge of bankruptcy before I, actually figured out what was going on. So there was a lot of moving pieces um, between 1995 and 2000, so. Yeah, well, you were literally thrown in as a very young man. I mean, that that's unprecedented. Um, I would be surprised if you didn't have some hardships along the way, but those lessons learned, they toughen us uh, and make us smarter for, for the next big challenge that comes our way. Um, and you mentioned culture, and, and that's one of the things that we know you for, but thank you for reminding us it's more than a culture, a company. It's about profitability and operations and all the stuff that we make that needs to get out there, right? Um, 
but I bet you never thought back then that we would be sitting here on a LinkedIn Live talking about culture and how amazing your culture is for your company and you're getting awards for it. So that's gotta feel good. Um, tell us a little bit more about what you did to improve the culture, the retention rates, um, and what you're continuing to do as it relates to your culture within your, your company. Yeah, you know, how do I do that and keep it short? That's a, that's a challenge. Um, you know, for, to answer your first question about that, I ever dream I'd be sitting here that we'd be getting awards for culture. No, never. I, I think the, the driving force has always been, um, you know, what are we doing for the people that work for us? And that goes to creating our mission statement, which is enrich lives, and then our six guiding principles. <clears throat> um, and so really being focused on, on, you know, how, how we're doing that in the workforce is really far more important than trying to get any sort of external accolades for anything that we were doing. It's, it was more about, are we really being acting different than other employment experiences people have when they, when they come to work for us? And certainly different than the experiences they had working for my dad. I think that in the very beginning, it was trying to really break away and almost do a 180 degree pivot. Um, in that work experience people were having inside of our own company um what was the rest of your question i'm sorry that's <laughs> all right well you you just triggered a thought it's it's really interesting because being a leader it, it's more than making money so i would assume and, and forgive me if it's a wrong assumption that your dad was about making product getting it out making money is is what i guess and who cares about everything else the people the culture and and who cares how we get there um and i don't want to make assumptions there but as leaders to me it's equally important to focus on the humans that we work with and their lives and their needs and their struggles and uh uh you've done an incredible job doing that it's if you could say your culture in one word if it had a personality describe it to us now <laughs> um culture now versus when where it was before yeah i think i would have to just point back to our mission statement i mean that's really our folks and it's not and it's two words unfortunately it's enriched yes. lives but but you know it how how do we show up how do our the people that work for us experience that mission statement so if you would go out and talk to them and say what does this mean to you and how to, it's going to be different for every person and i think that's you know that's where some of this stuff gets kind of interesting because we all bring our whole selves to work and we all have we're very um we're very interesting as people right we all have different likes and different backgrounds and different cultures and different beliefs. And we show up in a common workplace. And so what's important to us is, is almost to a person different. And um, so I think that's a, a challenge. How do you do culture holistically mm -hmm. for the people that work for you instead of just the way I, I might think about it for me? Right, it's subjective. 
it's subjective. And I think that's pretty cool because you are a uh, in the food industry. You're you make butter, um, wonderful, beautiful butter, by the way. Um, and your mission is to enrich lives. It's not about the butter. It's about enriching lives. So you you said it beautifully. That says um, a, a multitude of of your culture. And I know you're very well respected for all that you've done with the company um, and all the success that you've had in your career. Let's talk about the book, The Source. Okay. I see it behind you. <laughs> yes. Well, right. Wrong finger right here. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Mark. Tell us about The Source. Uh, not everyone writes a book. Not everyone's motivated to write a book. So right. let's start there. What's, what, what morning did you wake up and say, oh, it's time to write a book? T tell us oh, about that. Yeah, no, no morning did I wake up and say, I want to write a book. Um, so, I mean, first of all, if, if we go back, the source, the book, The Source is about the founding of the organization called The Source. And The Source was really part of that early effort on my part to redefine our culture. And one of the things I realized is going back to that holistic need of, of that people bring into a workplace is that we, as a small company, we didn't have the bandwidth to address the stability issues that a lot of people that were coming to work for us faced. And I could not afford to do it as a small company. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm not a social service organization. Um, we had a sales guy that came to us a few years ago and his observation was, hey, if there's no margin, there's no mission. And he's right. You know, I mean, we've got to, there's got to be financial responsibility, which I kind of learned in the first five years. Yeah. But the idea was that we could bring multiple employers together and task an outside organization with doing these things for the people that work for us and doing it in a very high quality way. And that's really what the book, The Source, is about. But you asked about what morning I woke up and decided I, I wrote a book. So or I wanted to write a book. I have a mentor and he's always pushing me to do stuff. I, I call him more of a protagonist. And yeah. so um he i i test as an extreme introvert and i and i always have and and he was getting his coaching certificates and and he he wanted me to be one of his guinea pigs and and he asked me he said so you prefer to work by yourself i'm like yeah probably he said you really don't like other people giving you input i'm like mm, not a lot so i said that's probably true at my core and he said, how do you do your job as a CEO? And I'm like, well, you learn a lot of behaviors because you have to rely on others and you have to trust them. And, um, you know, you kind of have to bring them along. Um, he says, well, I think you should do some public speaking. You know, it would help you with your well, introversion. Introvert, public like, speaking, that you must have been like, yeah, no, no, thank exactly. you. That's exactly what I said. And then he goes, but I finally was like, okay, I'll try it. And he said, but it doesn't count till you get paid for it. So. Once I accomplished that, we were talking. He said, well, now I think you should write a book. I'm like, yeah, Greg, no way. I'm not writing a book. <laughs> Literally two years later, we're having dinner, and I'm telling him about the source. And this is probably, I don't know, this 15 years into the source, 12 years, between 12 and 14 or 15 years into the source. And we were talking about the success of the source. And he goes, I think that's your book. And I'm like, yeah, wait, wait a minute. I actually could write a book about that. I could write a book about it. So 
that it literally was kind of birthed over a dinner with one of my mentors and and i An impromptu and, and it, discussion yeah very cool and uh then it took another two years to actually make it make it happen and and you know it's again it's a bit entrepreneurial because i'd never written a book and had no idea how to do it and um yeah here we are well we all need mentors in our lives that push us to do things that they see us capable of but we might not see ourselves now have you paid that forward do you do that for anyone else how, how do you mentor others i i try to i don't think i i'm not necessarily very formal at it um, and I probably don't interact with my mentors like formally. It's a little bit more ad hoc, but um, I'd like to think I do. Yeah. So now you got to pay it forward and tell someone that you know is capable of doing something and tell them to do it. Let us know what you inspire. <laughs> if that's the definition, I do that a lot. <laughs> That's great. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, so as, as a seasoned executive, you know, we've all been through challenges before the Great Recession, you name it. Um, we've been through all kinds of um, weird and wonky challenges on, on our past. You mentioned a couple already. Um, how has the pandemic hit different, in your, in your opinion, than some of the challenges in the past? I mean, that's a great question. You know, for us, um, first of all, it hit, hit us fast. Like it hit us really fast. I mean, our primary business is food service. Um, you know, restaurants and hotels were shut down like instantly, right? Within three weeks. Um, and I think that the business reality of having I don't know, 40% of your revenue go away overnight is, um, it's a shock. Um, but what was interesting to me about it was we, we spend a lot of time doing um, strategic planning and, and sort of scenario planning and trying to um, anticipate maybe things that that we can't see in normal trends or something like that. And I think there's always a tendency, especially maybe as a CEO to think, what did we miss? But there was literally nothing in the, the way the pandemic occurred that we could look at our organization or our team or our people and say, there's, there, is, there is nothing that we did that caused us to be in the situation that we're in. We didn't miss anything. We weren't financially reckless. We, we weren't careless with customers. We weren't careless with people. We weren't careless in our community. Um, it, it literally happened to us, right? And so, okay, let's not beat ourselves up. What are we gonna, what are we gonna do and how can we act again differently? How can we enrich lives given this situation that we have? And um, I think we worked really hard to do that for our customers and for the people that work for us. And, um, you know, even like in my in my CEO peer group to, to try to, you know, talk through with other CEOs and influence maybe the way they were responding to, to the uh, situation as well. Um, so, yeah, it just, 
you know, there, there is, there is organizational emotion, if you will, and, and to try to make sure that the leadership in the company didn't some way feel we were at fault for what happened. Um, and, and that we really had within our skill set the ability to manage through this, um, which we, which ultimately I think we did and we did quite well, but um, that emotional response was was really unexpected. I mean, certainly the the financial res the financial reality was unexpected, but the internal corporate emotional response was something I I would not have. If you had said what happened if some event occurred and you lost fifty percent of your revenue, I probably could have given you a scenario, but I would never have thought about the emotional response in the yeah order. yeah. And that that there's a couple real cool things in, in what you just said. You probably did this unknowingly. You said we had to enrich lives during, when it happened. I mean, you went right back to your mission. It's like, how can we enrich lives through this? It wasn't how can we go get, you know, 40 percent more revenue? How can we enrich lives with everything going on? And the other thing, too, is I think many leaders worry that they're going to make the wrong decision, which will financially hurt operations. You know, the buck stops at the top, right? right. So that is a big subliminal fear of many leaders and CEOs is, oh, my gosh, if, if I make the wrong decision, I this could really hurt a lot of people, right? right. And there was some relief in the pandemic that it wasn't on us. Yeah. I, 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 back then, I think many people felt this, well, at least it wasn't my decision-making that made this happen. Right, right. No, that's um, fair. I, I think that's what we experienced, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, a, lot, a lot of CEOs worry about a lot of things, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, success is subjective. Um, you know, everyone has a different definition of success, success in life, success in business. Um, what's important to you and what's your definition of success and have you achieved it? Oh, my word. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I don't, I don't know that it's for me, I don't think it's ever achievable. I think, I think success is, um, it's ongoing. Um, you know, I've been actually thinking a lot about this lately because I'm trying to pivot more to, to like promoting the book and doing some, um, you know, speaking around the country about, about culture, about, about the book, about talent. Um, and so wh where I am right now about defining success is it's inspiring others to take action that has positive change in the world. Wow. Wow. Just pause there for a second. That's very powerful. Making yeah. change people. If I, if I can inspire others to take action that creates positive change, that is, that's kind of the ultimate success. And I, and I can, I can draw that down to, um, you know, I can't force my daughter, for example, to do certain things or act certain ways. And she's 16 now that, you know, when she was two, there's certainly I could force her to do things. Uh, but at the end of the day, you want your influence as a person to inspire your kids to, to take positive action. Right. And I think it's the same thing with people around you and whether they work for you or they're outside your organization. Um, 
I would say I'm very comfortable right now with that definition of success. That says a lot. That says a lot. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about um, being a best and brightest company to work for. As I mentioned, you've been a, a winner at a national level for eight years as well as locally. Um, if I were to walk into your operations as a team member, what are some of the customs or rituals or what could I expect as a team member? What What is my experience? Right. Well, and I, so I, I have to be, um, I like to be authentic. We, we, you know, we do our cultural, we do a cultural survey beyond the best and brightest surveys that we do. And, um, you know, you go back to the pandemic, which I think we, we'd like to say we've successfully navigated through. Um, and we leaned a lot on culture. I mean, we had to downsize our organization. We had to make choices around, around team members and, and all very difficult things to do. Um, and then as we were coming out, we weren't certain about what business was going to come back and what wasn't and whether the new things we were trying were going to work. And so we were very cautious about bringing additional talent back. You know, we didn't want to overload the payroll. And so we asked a lot of people in our organization um, coming out of the pandemic. And now we are in a, in a place where we're, we're building our team again and, and we're, we're, we anticipate growing beyond where we were before the pandemic started, which is awesome. So to, to get to your question, I think, um, you know, we're trying to get back to some of the behaviors that we had pre-pandemic. We, um, you it's know, hard. It's it, hard. It, this it's, is the number one issue that the CEOs that, of the best and brightest um, are telling us yeah. is trying to figure out what culture is now, what's hybrid work, what's all these different subcultures coming out. It's almost like starting over for many of us out right. there. I think I think as I'm as I'm thinking about you know working on a second book and I'm, and I'm trying to really think about about what's going on in our organizations relative to talent and and not I'm not trying to not answer your question here. Um, what I would hope you would find as a new team member coming into our organization is this idea or this idea that could I belong here? Like we want to create an environment where people will. It's not just about, can I do this job? It's a matter of, do I like being part of this environment? Is this a place I can, I can be a part of? And, and I think there's an underlying question in people's minds about work these days. And I don't think it's about the work. I think it's about belonging. I think it's like finding a place where I'm heard, I'm noticed, I'm valued, I feel like I belong here. I have some, there's some other kind of stickiness for me besides I'm competent to do this job. I mean, we can competently do our jobs over Zoom. We've all learned that, right? But there's other things that we miss over Zoom that, you know, if you look at the statistics of people that met their life partners in work or how many people have best friends that were started in the workplace or how many people started volunteering for an organization because they were introduced to it through the workplace, right? There's things that happen through work that create a sense of, of belonging. Like I'm a part of 
So life purpose as well. Life purpose is very important. So I would hope that coming in as a new team member, you would be like, wow, this place is different. And I could see myself being a part of this. Wonderful. Welcoming. You want it to be welcoming and people to be their authentic selves, just as you've been authentic and transparent with us. With us. Um, we, we recently did a, a survey and asked what some of the greatest challenges are right now. And we're hearing about, you know, the uncertainty of the economy, the inability to make um, long-term decisions because of uncertainty still with um, market conditions, um, supply chain woes, food industry shortages, um, trying to get some ingredients is very challenging for many in the food industry. What is your biggest challenge right now? And then let's talk when when we're done talking about that with the, what you're currently facing. Let's go into the future and see what the next six months look like. Mm -hmm. You know, I hate to be a little bit blunt about all those problems that you just brought up, but at some point it's the cost of doing business. If you don't yeah. like risk, then don't go into business. <laughs> um, yeah, we're all experiencing those problems, right? I mean, nobody, none of my competitors aren't experiencing the same problems I'm experiencing. I think the biggest issue for me and, and where I think the solution lies is what we were just talking about, and that's the culture shift. And how do we, how do we maintain this, this sense of belonging and how do we help people find success in their lives as part of their work or through their work or while they're working um, because at the end of the day, Jennifer, those problems that come up in a business, whether it's because of a pandemic or because of, you know, high interest rates or a drought or whatever it is that causes those disruptions in our businesses, it's the people being engaged in our business that are going to solve those problems. I'm not going to solve any of them. Not really. I mean, I can help people dialogue around them. I can help maybe, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Here's an interesting article. Here's a contact I have. I can do all of that. But there, it's the people being engaged in our enterprises that are going to help us solve those problems and chart that course, right? So for me, it's about what does that culture look like? And, and are, do our people feel like, you know, communicate honestly and openly to promote effective teamwork is one of our, gui one of our guidelines or one of our um, guiding principles. So if people feel like there's an authenticity in communication and they're not being surprised and they there's a level of, of comfort with what they're being told and, and what's being shared with them and they can trust that, that goes a long way in, in stability inside your organization. So sure I really sure think, does. I think the focus for me is 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 really the culture piece and 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 then um, trusting our, our people to solve those problems that you brought. Which brings you back to your 30-year-old self driving culture as a priority. I, I mean, it's it's within you. And that's probably what makes you such a great leader is it's about people and about caring for people. We haven't used that word, but it, that's really what is happening here is caring about the, the person who's working with you so that they can be them genuine selves and, and you can be your genuine self. That's really all about it. It's so simple. It's brilliant. Right. <laughs> right.
You'd be surprised how many companies don't have the basics down, and that's why you're one of the best and brightest. Um, what's Thank your you. next project, Mark? What you working on? I am trying to finish a second book um, on talent systems, uh, and it's a little it's a little more difficult than the first book. The first book was really just a story about starting the source, um, kind of a fun story. Some of the family stuff and that you brought up at the beginning is is in the book. Um, but this this is really a challenge to us, to employers, about how we look at talent. And I think that what has fascinated me is we're always, we're great at onboarding talent. Like, welcome to the team, here's all these great things. When, when it comes time for people to leave, whether it's us wanting people to leave or people coming and saying, hey, I'm out of here, right? Here's my two weeks notice, thanks for everything, and I'm on to the next thing. We're really bad at that and yeah. helping to, to, so I, what I want to try to do is unpack this idea that we, each one of our enterprises lives within a, a system of talent, which is always in flow. And why we're trying to always fight that flow as opposed to positively engage with that flow and create opportunities for people to leave our company. Um, that if I'd say if there's any big idea in the book that's going to be really hard to get across is the idea that we actually help people find their next level of employment, which may be with us and it may be with somebody else. Um, wow. but sort of an, open hand, an open hand approach to talent. And it's it's very counterintuitive, especially when talent is hard to find in today's market. Um, but again, it goes back to what's important to the people that are coming to work for us. And if we can build organizations where we can authentically do that, um, I, I don't think we can ignore what success looks like for the people that come to work for us, right? Well, that's pretty cutting edge because many, many of us, including myself, you put so much into your teams and caring for them and treating them as a whole person and their family and whatnot. When they when they leave, it's hard. That's a hard thing for you personally, but to switch that and celebrate that and try and help people through that, um, that that's pretty ingenious. That's pretty ingenious. You're gonna have to keep us in the loop. And I know you're a good speaker. I, I know you said that you don't uh, originally you didn't want to speak and you were encouraged to do it. I've seen you speak. You're fantastic. <laughs> and so we're going to expect another little presentation <laughs> when that book is, when, when do you think that book's going to be done? Um, it, probably first quarter of next year um, is when we're going to, we're going to actually try to go mainline publishing. So, and I've never done that before. So I, you know, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. <laughs> That's great. Well, you never know. I mean, with social media, you never know when the right person sees something, boom, up, right. you know happens um so let's talk a little bit about um uh more philosophical things we we know that you you already shared a, a lesson learned to focus on financial and culture at the same time and cash flow and um those types of things is there anything else that you would do differently <laughs> um. <laughs> Okay. Like the so I have two answers to that question. <laughs> One is the list is too long. Uh, but, you know, as I think about that, Jennifer, the reality is, you know, I don't have any regrets. I, I don't, um, 
we all make decisions that don't turn out the way we thought they were. We, we all do it. We do it in our personal lives. We do it in our business lives. We do it as executive leaders in, in organizations. I think the real question is, regardless, I, don't, I think we do a better, we probably do a better job of this when things don't go the way we want them to than when they go exactly how we thought they would. But if, what did we learn from those decisions? You know, instead of having regrets and being like, I wish I hadn't done that. And if I hadn't done that, this wouldn't happen. Going back and saying, what did I miss? Who could I talk, have I, who could I have talked to that might've seen that situation differently? You know, what are the learning questions that make us stronger in the future because that decision didn't turn out the way we'd hoped it did? Um, and I, and I think because we've, I think we've handled most of those kinds of things that, you know, what would I do differently? Um, yeah. and tried to learn from them. Um, and I got this from a friend of mine years and years ago, and it was the result of a personal relationship that had gone badly and I was devastated and, and, uh, he just looked at me and he goes, that sucks. What'd you learn? I'm like, what do you mean? What did I learn? He goes, well, you can't do anything about it now. So what did yeah, you learn? What behaviors are you going to change in the future? And I'm like, yeah. oh, well that, and it really sort of started a whole um, different way of thinking about yeah. those kinds of things um, for me across my life. So, well, let me, let me, let me ask it this way then. If there was a 35-year-old first-time CEO sitting in front of you <laughs> and, and they have a business to run, right? what advice would you give that young person in the very first part of their career? Right. That's a great question. I love that question because um, I actually just had a conversation in the last couple of days with somebody just almost that exact situation and at well for me it was 30 but 30 35 you know you you find yourself in a situation and you have the the energy and the bandwidth to do a lot of things and so you start initiating a lot of change and you're managing all of that change and you and you can see it clearly in your head the way you want to go um, and you're convinced you can get there um, I think the there I'd give you a few pieces of advice one would be are your actions in line with with who you are you know I mean there's that our what, what became alignment for us was around our mission statement and our guiding principles but the other is of all the things you're trying to change which ones are really urgent that need to be done and which ones could you pause a little while so that you have bandwidth to change the urgent things and do it well yeah because there are things that you can put in motion that you can't take back later um and the temptation is to just start changing everything you touch and sometimes i think being able to filter what can be paused and, and, and just, even though you desperately want to change it, say, I'm just going to let that one, that, that's okay for now. Um, yeah. 
instead of changing 10 things, I'm only going to change three, but I'm going to do them really effectively. Yeah. And, and all that change is scary for the team. And I think we forget that too. Uh, we see it as positive. Perhaps the team sees all that change at once as, oh no. Um, right. So very good advice. And, and that's, and most young uh, C-suite leaders do just that. They have, they feel they have to prove themselves. They feel like they have to move quickly and aggressively. Um, sometimes you need to go slower to go faster. Very, very good advice. Um, I, I think, Mark, I think I know you and I, I, I feel like <laughs> I have a gist for who you are and whatnot, but sometimes with the intelligence and with the uh, role of CEO and all that you're doing, um, sometimes people look at the title rather than the person, right? I'm sure you've experienced a few of those situations where people are nervous around you or what have you. So one of the things we like to do with, with our um, with our lives is to demystify and just talk to you as a human. Mm. <laughs> so let's talk about this. Besides butter, what are some of your favorite foods? Um, so steak. I've always said if my doctor ever tells me you got to quit eating steak because you got you know a heart problem. I'm going to eat steak every day from that point on because I want it to be my last meal. Um, but of course, it's got to be finished with a nice culinary butter and it's got to have a great piece of bread that's also finished with some good butter and a good glass of wine to go with it. So I knew you'd um, throw the butter in there. I just knew it. Um, well, I, I, I kind of have to, you know that, right? I mean, yeah, I, I do know. I do know. <laughs> any any hobbies or what, what do you do for fun? Um, I, you know, anything on, in or near the water. Um, I, I, I did a, a little three week, um, I don't know, whatever. I, 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 I took off and lived in Salt Lake City for three weeks and, and Salt Lake City was very dry while I was there. And I, it really hit me that I'm a, I'm a water guy. I need to be near the water. I need to be on the water. I love boating. I like swimming, um, scuba diving, um, water skiing, uh so water's kind of my go-to oh that's fantastic <laughs> and you still water ski um i i like to water ski i haven't done any this summer unfortunately but um i okay. still do water ski yep you're capable that's enough that's yeah. all that yeah, matters you know. <laughs> um what about any daily rituals when you wake up or when you go to bed what are what are some of your rituals yeah, you know, I, I, this is an interesting question because my, my father was extremely real, ritualistic. I mean, every day you could chart his day out. And I really am, um, I'm almost the exact opposite. I have one, only one ritual that I, I can claim. And that is every morning I get up and I make coffee and I sit in my hot tub for 15 to 30 minutes. Um, and that is legitimately my only ritual you know they say that's very healthy for you the steam and the sweat uh is supposed to it's for longevity so maybe that'll balance out the steak eating with the steam <laughs> from the sauna well it's not a sauna but it's a uh what's, what is it it's a uh it's a hot tub it's just a, and, and it's you know similar, it's great similar. it's in the in the winter i get to be outside in the snow and and you know in the uh -huh. Summer, I, it, I turn the heat down so it's not quite as hot, but yeah. Oh, that's I, great. 
That sounds like so much fun. How, how do you manage your stress? Like when there is a really rough day, right. how do you handle that? So um, that's also that time in the morning. So for me, it's for me. And I think this is maybe part of the power of being an introvert. It's it's visualization. So if I run into situations that are not maybe going the way I want or I'm, I'm having a hard time communicating with somebody I need to communicate with, I will literally sit there with my coffee and I will think, how do I want this to go? And I will run like, OK, if I say this, they're likely to say that that's not going to I mean, I'll legitimately do that kind of thing in my head to try to find the best outcome possible um in those situations i don't you're i don't like to stay computer. in what's that you're like a human computer with all the what if charts flo floating up in the you know yeah. but what's interesting is i usually find a pathway i mean usually and and it and again it's a pathway that that aligns with what i call my my like the person i want to be like there's all the stuff that i want to do because i'm stressed or i'm frustrated and i want to like i want to make this happen but then there's the the better paths that maybe don't you know don't feel as emotionally fulfilling in the moment but you know it's a better pathway and those are kinds of things that i try to discover to chart out of those stressful situations wonderful wonderful i i, I don't think you get angry but if you were to get angry um no. Don't make you angry. I, I, don't see, I can't ever see you angry. I'm sure your family says differently, but um, <laughs> you're laughing. Carrie from my office and I have a little saying, I'm nice till I'm not. Um, <laughs> okay, that says a lot. <laughs> um, you know, and I think this kind of goes back, and this is all stuff that Jennifer that I've learned over the course of my life. I think it goes back to being an introvert and and tending to think through things. Um, I think, and and maybe it's not so much anger as it ends up just being frustration. I I really dislike being angry or being like significantly triggered. I, I try very hard to stay away from that kind of a situation. Um, but I think when it's when when people around me say things or do things without thinking um it's kind of becomes the root cause of why i get frustrated like did you really think that through and what did you hope to accomplish by by doing that and and um and then sort of an unwillingness to be self-reflective you know i think when when i run into people who don't want to take responsibility for their their own you know behavior or their own thought process that that really can be frustrating for me well said well said um it and i think that irritates a lot of people not just you <laughs> well but gosh you know, the, the defining yeah. question there is what am i doing to contribute to this the breakdown in this relationship too right because we all always have our own culpability and and that's the harder question sometimes yeah well let's end on a positive note here mark um what makes you happy yeah you know i'm generally a pretty happy person so there's a lot of things that make me happy but if i have to like boil it down to a theme i would say it's being with people and in places that bring me joy being and being present with them 
not just like being there and then doing my texting, but being there in like, even like this by Zoom, we're somewhat separated. I would love to be doing this in person because there's a whole nother dynamic of presence that can occur um, in person, right? It sure does. Sure does. And that's well, and that's what brings me joy, being in being present in those moments um, with with people and and enjoying places that that bring me that kind of joy. Well, you've proven again, I already knew this, but you've proven again what a fantastic leader you are in how you mentor and lead and help uh, others throughout your path as part of your mission as who you are. And um, we're just so proud to know you, uh, your organization, all the positive work that you do in the community, which we didn't even talk about today. Um, we're looking forward to the next book. Uh, so keep me in the loop on that. We, I, I'm telling you right now, you got to speak to it next time I, I interact with you. We'll figure that right. out. All right. um, but thank you for your time today. We value and appreciate you. And uh, thank you so much. Jennifer, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed being here today.